Blog Talk Radio.
Christmas Eve gift and, and hang up the phone. And uh, we would always, uh, first we would go to uh, the uh, the service on Christmas Eve service. And we'd go to the service there. It was always a beautiful service. And uh, then we would gather at my grandfather's house, all of the families would, and uh, we would have dinner and uh, usually uh, maybe sing some carols and uh, open gifts that we had given, you know, from one family to another, and then head home and uh, get into bed and anxiously await uh, the next morning. Now, <clears throat> I remember once when I was a little kid, uh, and by little, I, I, it's uh, it's in my memory, so I guess I had to be uh, at least three or four. I remember getting up really early before anybody else and uh, and going in my brother and I going into uh, uh into the the main room and and uh, getting the gifts out from others tree and started to play with them which which made it a not so happy Christmas because uh I remember my mom coming in and she was very upset about that. Which I didn't understand because I mean, why would she be mad? I mean, Santa came and brought us some gifts and stuff, and uh, and we found them, and we were, you know, we were playing with them. That seemed to be like uh, uh, what we were supposed to be doing. <clears throat> so if any of you guys, uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of different things tonight, but if any of you guys have uh, uh, some Christmas stories that you would like to uh, that you'd like to tell or relate to the rest of the folks, we'd be glad to hear those. And uh, We'll start the show off tonight uh, with uh, what we always do, which is uh, we have the beginning of the show. We'd like for you guys to uh, call in, and you guys that want to call in, you can call in. Uh, the number is 347-308-8790, 347-308-8790, and, uh, and uh, congratulate uh, any of your local crews for shooting to rifleman uh, standards, for passing a PC, uh, for becoming a full instructor or a shoot boss, or just for helping out. There's a lot of folks that uh, aren't instructors, and they do a tremendous amount of work. <clears throat> you guys know that I've talked to you, too, before about the fact that uh, the the actual apple seed the Saturday and Sunday of the apple seed is just the it's just the cream off the bucket there. The the real apple seed work takes place from Sunday evening, whenever you close the apple seed, until you get to the next event on Saturday morning. That's where the real apple seed work takes place. The actual event itself is just it's just frosting on the cake and and while the job of making riflemen and relating the history, which is one of the main things that we do, while that's important, it's it's no good whatsoever if folks don't show up. And the only way they're going to show up is by the folks making the effort from Sunday evening after the show closes to Saturday morning when the show opens back up, making the effort to get the word out, to let people know about what we're doing, why we're doing it, where we're going to do it next, 
and uh, and getting folks to attend the uh, the Appleseed Project. And uh, let me see now. The Appleseed Project is uh, is the whole reason that we're doing the Rifleman Radio Show. And the Appleseed Project is a sole project of the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. It's an organization that is dedicated to bringing you the absolute best fundamentals of rifle marksmanship program in the United States today. The absolute best. Uh, there's no other program, there's no other organization that runs uh, a fundamentals course like we do. There's no, there's nobody else doing any other courses. I mean, there are things scattered about here and there. There's, uh, and and I don't mean to disparage any other groups that are teaching rifle marksmanship because there are a lot of good groups out there doing it. I'm just saying there's nothing out, nobody out there that does what we do. Nobody. And uh, the uh, the program, the program is an absolutely fantastic one. You can show up either as a complete novice having no experience whatsoever uh, in uh, rifle marksmanship and handling firearms and stuff. And we'll help you unwrap it uh, after you pick it up from Academy or Walmart or wherever else uh, or any of the uh, gun stores. We'll help you unwrap the rifle, get it ready to go. And uh, by the end of the weekend, you'll have a rock-solid foundation in the fundamentals of rifle marksmanship and rifle safety. On top of that, you're going to get uh, quite a bit of good history about uh, about the way that America started. We're going to start you off with the history on April 19, 1775, and that's the day that uh, that our history started. That's the day that uh, that we actually set the flag in the ground and and began the history of the nation. And we're going to talk to you about that date, about who was there, what they were doing, why they were doing it, and what their vision was for this nation. We're going to talk to you about the history of the American Revolutionary War, and we're going to talk to you about the American Revolution. Now, one had a beginning and an end. One had a beginning and once it achieved its goals, it was no longer necessary, and it came to an end. The other was never meant to end. The American Revolution was never meant to end. It's going on today. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to talk to you about all of that. And it seems like a lot of stuff for one weekend, and it is. And uh, it's a nice, fast-paced weekend, but... Like I said, either uh, if you're a complete novice, you're going to learn a lot. If you are an accomplished rifle marksmanship uh, person, you're still going to learn a lot. You can go through uh, 25, 30 years of being around rifles and shooting and you know even competitive shooting, and there are going to be some things that you might miss. There are going to be things that uh, that maybe fell through the cracks so that nobody talked to you about so far. Well, we, we've worked it out so that we can talk to you about all of the fundamentals uh, from A to Z and explain them to you. Now, I'm not going to tell you that we're going to make you a competitive shooter in two days, but what we're going to do is we're going to introduce you to the material. We're going to give you a jump start on these skills and techniques so that 
that wherever you go, wherever your rifle marksmanship path leads you, you're going to be well-schooled in it. You're going to, there, there's not going to be a lot of stuff that you haven't at least been introduced to and that you don't have a fundamental knowledge of. Uh, we're going to teach you about slings and their use. We're going to teach you about building a stable shooting position. We're going to teach you about the six steps to firing the shot, about determining your natural point of aim and shifting it onto the target. We're going to talk to you about the rifleman's cadence, the way that you can uh, fire one round every two to three seconds at uh, targets up to 500 meters away with iron sights on a uh, stock rifle with surplus ammunition and hit your target 10 out of 10 times. We're going to talk to you about uh, the rifleman's bubble, which is your focus, rifleman's dance, which is the way that uh, you can adjust rounds when you're shooting out in the field by observing the impact of the round. We're going to talk to you about inches, minutes, and clicks, how they pertain to your rifle and how the whole idea of that is simply a translation problem. Uh, you're going to turn holes in a piece of paper into clicks that you can put onto your sights. We're going to talk to you about uh, developing your skills, about honing your skills, about keeping your skills intact, about dry firing. And <clears throat> we're going to leave you with the knowledge of what to do from now on when you go to the range and shoot. A lot of people go to the range and they shoot. Or they, they go to the range and they take a target with them and they maybe they take a box of rounds. Maybe they take a whole barrel of rounds. Either way, it doesn't matter. Because unless you know what you're going to do, unless you have a plan for what you're going to do at the range, then your trip is pretty much wasted. We're going to teach you the things you can do, how to understand what you're going to do when you get to the range, how to uh, use your range day to affirm and confirm your shooting skills after you've been dry firing and teaching yourself at home, how uh, you can use that time at the range to confirm that, uh, that those abilities, that those skills uh, that you've been practicing, that they are indeed uh, having an effect on your rifle marksmanship. <clears throat> so we're going to teach you a great deal. We're also going to teach you that uh, you have a sacred responsibility to this nation. There are no free rides here. Uh, nobody, nobody rides for free, all right? Uh, everybody, every individual in this nation has a responsibility to safeguard the freedoms and liberties that living in this nation affords you. We're going to talk to you about that. And and then you'll have to make a decision on what you're going to do about it. And uh, really, there's only, there's really only two things that you can do about it. Number one, and this is a path that most Americans go down today, because America is... Uh, and the whole world, the whole world is suffering from this. The whole world is 
is spinning and 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 waiting. They're waiting for something to happen. They're waiting for something to come to them. And believe me, it's coming. It's on the way. It's speeding toward them like a like a, a high speed train. They're waiting for something for them to change. <clears throat> You'll come to an Appleseed event, and uh, we'll talk to you. You'll set yourself a goal for improving your rifle marksmanship, and then you'll meet and exceed that goal. And then most people will say, what next? What now? I set myself a goal. I met it. I exceeded it. And now I'm ready for more. When we talk to folks about their responsibility to the nation, some folks are going to listen. Some folks are going to hear it. But you know what? It's a, it's a scary, it's a very scary idea. Because if you understand that the nation is in peril, if you understand that something simply must be done, then that's a very scary thing. Because what it says is that now that you have this information, you're going to have to do something with it. You're going to have to do something about it. Some people do. A good many good Americans do. A lot of them listen to what we have to say. And uh, out of those folks, there's quite a few that that would make the founders proud. But because of the history of apathy and ignorance and laziness, <clears throat> A lot of folks are going to go back home and get back on the couch and stick their head in the sand because it's a lot easier to go through their life by switching off their independent thought and plugging into uh, a communal beehive kind of uh, thought that is uh, spearheaded with uh, situational comedies where where in the space of 30 minutes there's a happy group of folks and then there's some dramatic crisis that's introduced uh, and uh, and very seldom is it life-threatening it's never that bad but you know it's a it's a dramatic crisis that that can be taken care of and can be remedied in a comedic fashion and then at the end of the 30 minutes, everybody can laugh and clap their hands and giggle. And and life is good, and life goes on. And you don't have to think about those those heavy thoughts. You don't have to think about those, those heavy decisions. And when I say heavy decisions, I'm, 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 really, uh, I'm really making a big deal out of nothing. Because when I say heavy decisions, I'm talking about... Uh, by folks saying, you know what, uh, there's an apple seed rifle marksmanship event this weekend. Gee, I wonder if I should go. Okay, I'm going to go. Wow, that was a heavy decision. Well, I mean, uh, it, it wasn't really that heavy decision. I mean, it is nowadays, and it's not. Because if you think that's a heavy decision, then why don't we 
compare and contrast it with <clears throat> the folks who were standing together on April 19, 1775 on Lexington Green or at the North Bridge in Concord. Because that decision was, okay, do I stand here with my brothers shoulder to shoulder to oppose the destruction of our freedoms and liberties? Do I stand here with my brothers and do this? Because if I do, then now I'm a, I'm a treasonous traitor without even firing a shot or doing anything else. I can be arrested. I could be hung. I could be shot. Now that's kind of a that's kind of a heavy decision there, right? Even if that's not the case, uh, say there is shooting going to be going on, like at the North Bridge. Uh, you know, we we think of things in terms of how our days are, go now. If you get injured, well, as long as it's not, you know, horrific, then there's a good chance you're going to make it because you can get on the telephone uh, and uh, or on your radio and you can you can call for uh, emergency help. And by gosh, even if you're far away, well, they'll send a helicopter. They'll send a helicopter there, packed with uh, supplies and. Uh, extremely intelligent folks the even the the lowest paramedic that's going to arrive on that helicopter is going to be light years ahead of the most brilliant doctor in 1776 so if you get uh, hurt in some way well they'll whisk you to the hospital they will uh, move heaven and earth there with all the latest technology to repair any damage to you and uh, usually, uh, after a couple of minutes or so there, you won't feel very much of it because they'll have the latest uh, methods of painkilling. <clears throat> uh, they'll remove uh, any uh, foreign bodies from you. They'll give you antibiotics, blood transfusions if you need them, pain medications, all done in a sterile environment. <clears throat> Whereas in 1775... You had folks that who were going to operate on you who thought that uh, if you got real sick, then maybe they could open a vein and let the uh, blood drain out into a bucket because, you know, that would let the, the evil stuff inside you escape. They thought that, uh, that a horse hair in a water trough could spontaneously... Uh, become a living thing. So that was a bit more of a heavy decision back then. You know, if your house was burned down back then, if the regulars came through your town and and decided to burn your house down, <clears throat> well, there wasn't... Uh, five or six hundred other homes right there in your town sitting there empty on Craigslist that you could look through and say, well, I'm gonna, I'll, go, I'll get in this, this one for now. 
I'll get in this three-bedroom, uh, two-bathroom home with a three-car garage, and I'll use it until I build a new one. No, the homes that they had there, every single piece of wood that was in the home had to be cut by hand. And the homes had to be built meticulously, piece by piece, with no power tools, with a saw and an axe and hand planes, and and it could take uh, a year to build a home. If your home got burned down, even in April, you might have time to build a new home before the winters came, but you may not. What were you going to do? Where was your family going to live? Everything that you owned in the world was in that home. Every single thing you owned in the world was in that home. They had a lot harder decisions to make then than we do today. And yet our losses at the end of the big picture, at the end of the story, are going to be the same. You know, when I talk to you guys about about the the danger that we face now, it would certainly be much easier if if there were British regulars coming, if there were uh, 10,000 screaming jihadists headed toward your home, because then uh, that would be uh, an actual concrete threat to you that had uh, uh, that you didn't have to to figure out a lot of different ways to combat that threat. When somebody is uh, threatening your home by force of arms, then the logical answer is for you uh, and all of your buddies with arms to get together and repel them and stop them. And and folks are usually more than willing to do that. Not that they look forward to it, not that anybody wants to do it. But it's not hard to get everybody together and uh, put a rifle in their hands and say, we have to defend our homes. If there's a bridge and... Uh, uh, and there was a school bus of kids going across the bridge. And uh, let's say you're following them in your car, and, and all of a sudden uh, a vehicle forces that school bus uh, to stop, and, and, and terrorists jump out, and they start uh, uh, attacking the bus. <clears throat> I'm sure that uh, if you're like me, if there is anything that you can do, and by anything I mean I, I, I would stop and I would I, I would be grabbing rocks off the side of the road and start uh, dinging them with rocks. They're, they're, I would do whatever it took to stop them, uh, even uh, at the risk of losing my own life. And I know that many of you listening would do the same, because that is something you can see, and then there, and there's an answer to what can be done about it. There's no question of when should we do something, because if you can see the jihadists, if you can see the terrorists, if you can see the uh, the 
the rabid grizzly bears or whatever the threat is, then you know the time to do something is now. It's not when should we do something. It's we need to do something right now. We have to do something right now. And we have to do it to the best of our abilities. Unfortunately, the dangers that we are facing right now are not so concrete. They're much more abstract. And yet they hold the same peril as as the terrorist forcing the bus to a stop and attacking it on the bridge. Right now that bridge is under attack. Those children crossing that bridge are under attack. You just can't see it. Because what it is is rust that's eating through the steel. There's rust that is attacking the steel girders on that bridge. And one day, as that school bus is crossing the bridge, that bridge is going to fail, guaranteed. And when it does, those kids in that school bus are going to plunge into the freezing icy waters below them and perish. It's just not as apparent that it's happening. It's hard to get people together and say, come on, men, let's, let's do something about this rust. Come on, grab your sandpaper and your wire brushes. Let's go. Grab your chipping hammers. Let's get this rust taken care of now before it destroys us. Because it doesn't seem as if there is any need for the haste. Right? The rust is there. It'll be there tomorrow, right? I mean, uh, there's so much to do right now. I've got uh, got my kids' game this weekend. I've got a wedding next weekend. I've got, uh, uh, you know, I've got a, a hunting trip with the guys the weekend after. I do want to do something about the rust. I do, believe me. I believe it's serious. I do. I got a lot of stuff going on right now, and you know the rust is just going to have to wait just a little while. Look, it's just rust, so it's not like this is going to be like the hare and the tortoise, right? I mean, we're I'm sure we can catch the rust, the rust, and take care of it. <clears throat> I guess. I mean, I hope that we can. The problem is, is that uh, who was it? Uh, Neil Young <clears throat> uh, said in his song that rust never sleeps. The rust never takes a break. It's always there. It's always going. It's always trying to uh, to oxidize and destroy the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy as citizens of this nation. And yeah, there's nothing uh, glamorous about fighting the rust. But it's got to be done, and it can't be delegated to anyone else. We have to do it. Each and every single one of us has to do it ourselves. Because I can guarantee you, if you delegate it to someone else, if you delegate it to your senator or your congressman, then what they'll do is... uh, 
they'll commission a couple of uh, million dollar surveys on it and uh, and then uh, in uh, many years from now they will determine that the uh, safeguard for this is to ensure that the rust does not make any comments about any political candidates within uh, 30 to 60 days before the election. That's how it gets taken care of here. You have to make sure that you accept the responsibility for this. All right? You have to take responsibility. You have to understand that if something's going to be done, it's going to have to be done by you. You're the best person to do it. You're the person that has the best understanding of what needs to be done is you. You're the person who best knows how to spend your money. That's you. You're the person who best knows what needs to be done in this nation in order to satisfy the needs of you and your family. Make sure that you're doing something. I've told you guys many times that you know, for a long time, I didn't know what to do. But banging on the television didn't appear to ever do anything. It seemed to me to accomplish nothing other than add to my frustration. <clears throat> and I always thought, what what is it that I can do? I'm one person. I don't have any uh I don't have any great constituency that I can talk to. The only folks I ever talk to are uh, uh maybe every you know once a month I'll I'll talk to five or six other folks down at the feed store or at uh, uh at the Circleville store or something. Other than that, who am I talking to? Nobody. Um, I work alone. Uh, I spend my days in the field. How am I ever going to do anything that's going to make a difference anywhere? And then I finally came on, came up on Appleseed, and I realized that certainly there were many different things that I could do, but this is the one that fit best for me. This is the way that I could reach people. This is the way I could do something. I could do my part. I could pay my debt <clears throat> because there was also a time period where I thought that as uh, as an American soldier, I'd spent uh, six years serving my country and uh, in a lot of ugly and nasty places, and uh, I thought that maybe uh, uh, because of that, you know, my debt was paid. I was done. And uh, and I realized that serving your nation, defending your rights and liberties that uh, that you are blessed with by virtue of living in this nation, it doesn't have an end. There's no uh, there's no finish to it. So Appleseed 
is where I where I found that I fit in. This is a way I can reach other folks and talk to them. <clears throat> All right. Now, I told you guys uh, we've got, if you'd like to call in, we've got uh, the beginning here of the show. Uh, we'd love to hear, we'd love to take your calls, and you can uh, call in about anything. We've, we'd like for you to talk about uh, folks that, uh, that you would like to give some uh, recognition to, some of your local crews. Uh, we'll do that. If you've got a Christmas story or anything else, we'll be glad to hear that too. Let me quickly say my thanks again to Jimmy from uh, uh, New Mexico and his uh, Christmas for the Truth program. I told you you guys have been listening to this for the last month or so where we've been uh, talking about uh, Jimmy in New Mexico uh, and the folks out there putting together 2,500 care packages and these are these are no this isn't just toothbrush and toothpaste these were some really excellent uh, packages that he was able to get folks to sponsor and send out to 2500 American troops and uh, and Jimmy we uh will be glad to uh, take a call from you if you uh, are listening and uh, we're waiting to hear back from any of the folks that uh that shot the AQTs there in Afghanistan or shot the red coats and uh and uh, we'll be glad to take your calls and and anybody else's calls. We've got uh, Warren G. on the phone now. And uh, Warren, welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate that. And I want to say, uh, first of all, thanks to all the uh, New Mexico uh, shoot people who have helped me uh, erode my bad habits in a slow but steady manner, uh, especially Jimmy back there. He popped a rivet one time, and uh, even though I was bushed, uh, inspired me to go shoot a uh, another AQT. <laughs> but uh, uh, especially to you, Scott, who uh, put out a show every week. Uh, gosh, you know, it's like, where do you come up with all the topics, the subjects, and everything else? Uh, you're amazing. Uh, thank you very much, and we appreciate it. Well, listen... Thank you, and and while we're talking about the radio show and stuff like that, and every week and stuff like that, you're right. I'm I've been doing this. Uh, well, I don't know for quite a while now. There's been uh, there's been a lot of shows. We've had uh, well over a hundred thousand uh, downloads of the show, uh, and uh, uh, so I want to thank my call screener, who's uh, been helping out. Uh, uh, for a long time now, and so it's not just me here because uh, I'm here and the call screener here is my my call. Well, it's my an organization scout, and uh, <laughs> right that? from uh, you know the time you had Fred on talking uh, through to just about everybody I've come across, uh, I gotta say thank you uh, to all of them. Well, I appreciate I that. I've got the the call screener is uh, I won't tell you his name, but you guys all know him. He's a fellow New Mexican, and uh, and I'll tell you his initials are SD Sierra Sierra Delta. And, uh, oh, I know him. Yep, <laughs> he's a good man, and he's uh, he's helped me uh, for for a couple of years now. And uh, and if you hear me on the radio show, then you can bet your boots that he's right there to doing the same thing. He's running the switchboard. He's uh, putting in the same hours as me, so he's not a bad guy him. for somebody who's so ineffective, huh? <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> well, I hate to see him if he was really riled up. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the the thanks there, and and my thanks to you because you know everybody in the program is a volunteer. Everybody here is has decided to flip a switch and just and do something uh, besides sitting on the couch, besides just saying. Well, you know, somebody will fix it. I'm sure somebody will fix that leak in the dam. Somebody will take care of it. And instead of doing that, uh, you and all the rest of the folks at Appleseed have said, you know what, uh, I think I'm going to go out there. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to stick my finger in there because something needs to be done, and uh, and I'm just the right guy to do it. So thank you, uh, Warren, and uh, to the whole New Mexico crew there. Well, my pleasure, Scout, and thanks to you all for inspiring me. <laughs> have a good evening and Merry Christmas. All right. Well, hey, before you go, do you have any uh, you have any uh, Christmas stories that you would like to relate? Oh, heck no. Uh, you know. you got to have something. Many, something from your many childhood. Many stories out there, uh, you know, for me to be spinning yarns at this time. Um, but... Um, yeah, I would like to say that um, you know, having you know, I, I don't drive fire nearly enough, but uh, you guys have also inspired me to do the back half of the work of uh, researching, having read both the Hackett Fisher's books and uh, my latest one is uh, If by Sea that I'm reading by George C. Duan uh, uh, about the Continental Navy and uh, later on into the War of 1812. Um, but looking at our history and our our future and our our uh, our past, you know that, like you said, uh, you did six years uh, in your organization there, and uh, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Not absolutely, momentary. absolutely. There's always there's always bad on the other side of the door, and if you don't uh, if you don't keep positive pressure up. Then, then evil will triumph. I mean, there, there, there is, there is no doubt about that whatsoever. If you let your guard yeah. down, if you let yourself, if you let it go, if you take the pressure off the door, then it's going to open and evil's going to come in. And that's that's just the way that it is. That's the way that the world is. Well, the good news is that there's a lot of shoulders against the door, and we can all take turns. Right, and we have to make sure that we're continually. <laughs> reminding folks because folks uh because it is a different world in many ways than it was back then uh and and folks always think that somebody else is taking care of it somebody else is is going to safeguard the, the your rights and your liberties i'm sure that somebody's going to do that right because it would be insanity to think that that uh, that somebody would willfully erode these or, or willfully deny uh, the rights and freedoms and liberties that living in this country affords you. And yet they do, and they will. And and you can't delegate it. You can't uh, think that you're – that the responsibility for for being vigilant – and for actually doing something. I don't mean by doing something. I don't mean talking about doing something. I mean doing something. That Well, it's, Scott, it's like coming to an accident scene. Um, 
you know, you, you see an accident happen ahead of you, um, you have to stop. You have to at least call. And then if your capabilities allow it, you get out of the car. You check the people out. If you can render first aid, you do that. Absolutely. It's just what you have to do. But can you see that accident happening first? Exactly. If and you that's... can prevent it, if you can see, uh, if you can actually prevent it, then that's what you want to do. Oh, it's easier, you know, if you could flash a headlight and wake somebody up that's dozing off or something or blow a horn or something. Oh, that's a heck of a lot easier than cleaning up afterwards, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want uh, folks to do. And And that is what... <clears throat> this program, uh, the theme of this program has always been. And you know, a lot of times we use the analogy of the Titanic because a lot of folks, they want to get bogged down in what we call the uh, the icebergs of, the, uh, of our current times. And that's uh, Senate Bill uh, XYZ or House Bill this or uh, or candidate X, or, or any of those things that we consider that that folks consider to be uh, extremely important things, and you got to drop everything and fix it. And we call those icebergs because they're you know, folks on the Titanic. Uh, even if those guys in the crow's nest that were supposed to be watching out for the icebergs, even if the purser hadn't locked the binoculars in. Uh, the purser's uh, uh, cabinet and gone to bed with the key. Even Stay up been at sea at night, and, you know, if you don't have a radar on, you know, your chances of seeing something that was like that, uh, playing spotlights all over the place is pretty slim. <laughs> well, even if they would have seen it, right, even if they would have been able to miss that one iceberg and, uh, and not have the unsinkable there. ship sink, then what do you think was what do you think was somewhere out in the darkness beyond that uh, iceberg? The next iceberg. Another one. That's right. Another one. Another one. Just as just as dangerous, if not more dangerous. So at Appleseed, what we're trying to do to, is to get folks not to think about the weather because there's always weather, right? It's always raining here climate. or snowing over there, right? We want to change the climate so that the icebergs can't form in the first place. And when I talk about that, what we're talking about is saying not that uh, – uh, is to say that that anybody, anybody who would even consider putting together any kind of a House bill or Senate bill that was going to erode the freedoms and liberties, that they knew that that would be their death knell. That would be the end of them, just, just, uh, uh, just uh, putting one of those up. That's how you change the climate. You don't you don't wait for them to come up and say, "Hey, we defeated this bill here," because I guarantee you, there's there are another infinite number of bills in the wings. And if you don't think that one person can do something about it, you guys know I had uh, Sheriff Mack on uh, a few weeks ago. Actually, and, I listened uh, to that. Yes, right. Constitutional and, sheriffs. That's right, and he uh, he's living proof that uh, one person can have a great deal of effect because he stopped uh, you know we had the Brady bill that came through and there was there was many more uh, additional Brady bills in the wings ready 
to be pushed through at that time, and he stopped them. All right, that's one guy, one guy. So if each of us as individuals can push ourselves up to that uh, level of vigilance, then there doesn't have to be uh, there doesn't have to be ten million of us to do that. There just needs to be a good, solid core of folks, and that's what we're trying to do at Appleseed. We're trying to awaken uh, a good, solid core of if we have a million riflemen. And I'm not just talking about folks that attend. I'm talking about a million folks who are willing to go all the way to get their rifleman patch and, and even to become instructors or seventh steppers. A million folks like that uh, are the equivalent of, uh, of 50 or 60 just regular folks, uh, 50 or 60 million regular folks. Uh, a million riflemen can change the future of this nation without a doubt, and that's what we're trying to do. Well, I spoke with you probably eh, a little over a year ago. Uh, Wintertime, things get quiet, and NCIS isn't on, so I'm allowed out to uh, (laughs) pay attention. Since they switched to Tuesdays, uh, my attendance has uh, been listening a little better here, or like I said, off time, thanks to the uh, reserve on the Internet here. But um, again, Scott, you know, you're – your efforts aren't wasted. You know, I've been looking at the uh, the other parts of things, uh, history, the uh, current political people. You know, I write uh, when something irritates me, fire a letter off. Um, when something makes me happy, fire a letter off. There you go. Uh, exactly. That's because you're. It, it, it's no different training your senator congressman than it is teaching somebody to become a rifleman. That just. That's it. You don't just give, uh, you don't just correct mistakes when folks are on the line, because uh, it's much easier to reinforce positive uh, practices and behavior. And that is, when you see somebody that's uh, holding their trigger back, don't lose the opportunity to let them know that they're doing it correctly. Because they, they may very well be wondering if they're doing it, or they may not know if they're doing it right or not. Whenever you teach, whenever you lean down and you tell them, that's it, your trigger, your trigger control is just right, then they can lock that in. They can lock that in right then and there, and, uh, and that could be one of your, one of your uh, problems solved in instructing them. The same thing with your, uh, uh, your representatives. <laughs> yeah, well, make sure that... Uh, if they do something that uh, you think is right, let them know because that's going to spur them on, and uh, and let them know that they're on the right track. And don't think that well, we can't just we can't just keep whacking them with the newspaper. You know, you got to tell the puppy when he's a good boy. Right, right, and and uh, and I know that I've talked to to you guys about this before, but uh, just like I was saying a moment ago with with Sheriff Mack is. A lot of folks think that because they're just one person, that their contacting their representative is not going to do anything because they're just one person, they're just one voice. It's going to get lost in the uh, the avalanche of calls and stuff like that. And would that it were that way, but it's not uh, because of the the tremendous apathy in this nation. Your one voice may very well 
be representing 5,000 people because well, because nobody will call and, and make the their wishes known anymore. People count on is that nobody's going to say, "Hey, you know, I can't do anything." They count on government basically runs on the fact that most people aren't saying anything. Right. They get away with it. Exactly. Because they figure that uh, you know what they do is not going to be noticed, and uh, nobody's going to call them on it. And if they do, they can just uh, they can do some double speak, and uh, and they're good to go. And uh, and we have to make sure that that we're letting them know that when something comes through, and uh, and it is an assault on our freedoms, on our liberties, that we that we let them know. Uh, what our wishes are, and also let them know that we're watching. We're watching. We're paying attention because <clears throat> I've heard lots of different folks uh, talk about Appleseed as uh, a deterrent. As far as uh, Appleseed with um, you know folks with rifles uh, being a deterrent uh, to the government and keeping it in line, and let me tell you that's that's completely. Uh, but, uh, that's a joke Because you're never going to get anything done By force of arms against the government That That is absolutely zero threat to them Because uh, the people that you want to move The senators or the congressmen and stuff like that You don't scare them, alright Because at the, at, the, at the end of their fingers They've got a telephone that can call up the might of the government. So you don't scare them at all that way. If you really want to threaten them, if you want to make them shiver, then threaten make them democracy with losing work. well, threaten <laughs> them that scares the hell out losing their uh, feather beds with their golf yeah. junkets and uh, and their lifetime pensions and stuff like that. That's where the threat uh, comes in is either you do as I as I have asked you to do as my representative or I will follow through on my threat to vote against you and get as many other people to vote against you as I can. <clears throat> That's okay, where we the need real to power because comes from. if we don't, their power um, to take that right away from us gets closer every day. Exactly. Well, you sure you don't have any uh, any Christmas stories you'd like to share with us? Um, nothing particular with Christmas. Um, you know, it's just like. Every day is Christmas. Uh, don't forget. <laughs> you have a uh, you have a family, Warren. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Got yeah, wife, couple kids, couple cats, and a uh, bunch of friends. Well, there you go. Well, listen, you're always welcome here in uh, in Texas. Anytime you're ever out this way, you let me know. Oh, I will, Scout. I imagine I'll be taking your course to get past the hump here and uh, get on to being a rifleman. Well, you know, like Thanks I said, you're all always welcome here. All right. Have a good all evening. Right. Well, thanks for the call. And Again, be thanks sure to the New Mexico contingent. <laughs> yeah, my thanks, too, to all the folks in New Mexico uh, who are making it happen and uh, to all the folks in New Mexico who uh, are helping out in Texas because uh, we get help all the time uh, from the New Mexicans by them uh, coming and working in the – uh, panhandle areas or in the border areas. You mean and, eastern uh, New Mexico? I appreciate it. What's that? You mean eastern New Mexico? Right. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, Scott. <laughs> All right. You take care, brother. Bye bye.
All right. Well, we appreciate that uh, that call. And uh, if any of the rest of you guys would like to call in and uh, and give somebody thanks or to uh, to relate a Christmas story, and we'd love to have your calls. You can call in at three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. And uh, we also want to thank, uh, or not thank, but we also want to mention uh, any of the folks that uh, that have some type of a, a commercial venture going that uh, that we can help out with. And if any of you folks do have any kind of a commercial venture that you're uh, that you are trying to run, and and uh, if it's something that uh, that any of the Appleseed folks need and we can get it from you, then let us know because, you know, if we can help out one of our Appleseed brothers and sisters, then that's what we should be doing. And uh, uh, Jimmy out there in New Mexico has uh, Desert Eagle Farms. If you guys need some long-term food, some uh, uh, food insurance, then you can get – food from Jimmy. It's a fantastic food. I've eaten some of it now. I ordered some, and uh, uh, it uh, tastes great. Uh, I believe it has a 25-year shelf life. And uh, and I call it food insurance, because there is a guaranteed that uh, something at some time in the next, uh, before the end of your life, uh, you're going to be put in some kind of a position, tornadoes, hurricanes, uh, ice on the road, something that is going to uh, interrupt your uh, delivery or your ability to grab food. And uh, what better thing to have than some food insurance? That's some food that you you can have tucked away in your pantry that uh, it's not going to go bad and it's going to be there ready to go if you need it any time in the next quarter of a century. So contact uh, Jimmy. I believe uh, Desert Eagle uh, is his forum name, too. But uh, you can Google uh, Desert Eagle Farms and uh, call screen. I'm sure I can't see the chat again, which uh, is just bizarre to me uh, that that I have so much difficulty with that. And uh, anyway, uh, the call screen, I'm sure, can put it in there, uh, Desert, Desert Eagle Farms for Long-term food stores. <clears throat> We've got uh, Blue Feather Handmade Soap. And uh, it's probably too late to get any for Christmas now, but you can order some for next Christmas or for birthdays or for, uh, you know, it doesn't even have to be anything, any reason other than you would like uh, a nice bar of handmade soap. And uh, their, her soap is absolutely fantastic. Uh, Blue Feather and Thomas Glock. Even though they are both uh, have doctorates, are uh, uh, have uh, taken that uh, phenomenal uh, doctoral intelligence and funneled it uh, in one of the sidelines into making soap, and uh, they make an absolute fantastic bar of soap. And you can get that at BlueFeather.biz, I believe. And uh, let's see, Poker Face, the folks that uh, give us our intro music, and. There's got to be some more folks, although, like I said, I can't see that. Uh, I can't see the 
the chat, but I just got a message here from the call screen. He said he's posting the info in there. <laughs> so if you have a, uh, a a commercial venture that you'd like for us to mention, and don't worry, Blog Talk, I'm not taking any uh, remuneration for this. There's no nobody getting paid anything. We're just using the airtime to help out our fellow uh, uh, Appleseed brothers and sisters to uh, have a successful commercial venture. And uh, uh, let's see. Uh, we have an upcoming event in Texas that uh, I'm working on with a couple of the folks. And what we're going to be doing, I believe it's going to be uh, right around the first week in June, is uh, the commercial operation that we have here in Davila. It's called Battle Road. And uh, Battle Road is a self-defense shooting organization. And uh, we have uh, top-notch instructors. And we're running courses in... Uh, handguns and combat carbines, shotguns, vehicle defense, combat medicine, uh combat survival, any of the uh any of the stuff that you can think of we're running. We run a lot of ladies only uh stuff now including uh the Sir Connor course which is uh designed for women and it uh, teaches women it's going to give them a, a uh, an introduction into the different types of firearms, because uh, one of the things that I always hated was seeing the movies where you have the uh, the woman being chased by some killer, and uh, she gets into the house and she she grabs a shotgun and a box of shells, and she's looking at them both, and you can tell there's there's really no understanding of of what the next uh, the next part of the equation is. And the killer comes in and slaps the unloaded shotgun out of her hand, et cetera, and proceeds to do his evil. <clears throat> well, what we're doing is we're giving uh, women an introduction to all types of firearms. Now, no, they're not going to become an expert in any, but we're going to give them an introduction into the fundamentals of how uh, rifles, pistols, shotgun systems work so that uh, there's a good chance that they will know how to operate uh, a firearm if they get their hands on it. You know how to uh, uh, load and unload a uh, like a double barrel type shotgun, a pump type shotgun, a bolt action type shotgun, a bolt action type rifle, a lever action rifle, a magazine fed rifle, uh, the revolver, a semi-automatic pistol, stuff like that. They'll be given introductions to those so that they can understand that uh, if they've got a shotgun and uh, to take a look at it, it should have a marking on there of what what uh, gauge it is. And then you can match that up with the ammunition, that it should have uh, some type of a slide release around the trigger guard or on the back ridge bone of the shotgun. It should have a safety, and here's how the safety works. And if you see the red, then uh, red means danger, and that means that the shotgun should be able to fire. <clears throat> and uh, go through that with each of the different firearms and show them that. Then they'll fire off one round uh, or two rounds out of each one just to, uh, to show that they can identify, load, and fire the different firearms, and then there will be an introduction to the very basic uh, uh, hand-to-hand and also uh, escape from restraints, zip ties, duct tape, rope, etc., stuff like that. And uh, the most important thing of all will be uh, threat detection and threat evaluation. And uh, so that's one of the things that Battle Road does. 
Well, we're giving our. I just gave our gave our uh, our company a, a long big push there. But <clears throat> what we're going to be doing in June is Battle Road in conjunction with Appleseed uh, program here in Texas is putting together uh, an event, and we have the folks from the History Channel Top Shot, and they're going to be coming, and we'll be running through a mini Appleseed, and. Uh, and then you guys will be able to uh, do some side-by-side shooting with the uh, the Top Gun folks, and uh, uh, there'll be different different types of shooting that will be that will go on after the uh, mini Appleseed. And uh, there will be a uh, participation charge because Appleseed and Battle Road and the uh, Top Gun or the Top Shot History folks are going to. Uh, Donate the proceeds to the Wounded Warrior program. So <clears throat> you can find out more information about this as we post it. If not, uh, there's nothing solid yet. We do have the okays from everybody, but uh, we're just now coming up with the the rest of the stuff. Uh, so be on the lookout for the rest of that. If you'd like to find out more about Battle Road, you can go to uh, battleroadusa.com. <clears throat> All right, and then of course, uh, about in uh, we're going to do this in June, but I think we're going to move it to November now because it's getting bigger and bigger. And Battle Road will be holding hosting a uh, what we're calling the Battle Road Zombie Apocalypse, and that's a uh, that's an event where you're going to be uh, following a course that's laid out. It's probably uh, three to four miles, and uh, the course is going to be kind of a rugged course, and you'll be going through obstacles and stuff like that, and then shooting at different stations along the way. And uh, what you'll be trying to do is to save yourself uh, as an individual and save your team uh, from the plight of being consumed by the Walking Dead. All right? And that will be coming up in November. <clears throat> All right. If you uh, once again, if you have any uh, questions about that, you can uh, email me uh, or uh, get in contact with me through uh, BattleRoadUSA.com. <clears throat> and Battle Road will continue to host uh, a minimum of one apple seed uh, a month into uh, the bright and distant future. And uh, we're going to have uh, Fred on in, I believe, the second or third week in January. And the boss wants to come on and talk to you guys about uh, about some big things that we have going on. And uh, one of those big things will be, I believe, the 2014? Uh, is it 2000? Thank you, 2014. We were talking about this yesterday. Is... Uh, would be running 1,000 simultaneous apple seeds. So <clears throat> be sure and uh, and check the uh, the upcoming shows because uh, Fred will be coming on either the second or third week and uh, talking to folks about that. And he's he's going to do his regular check-in and uh, and it's a good chance uh, for you guys to call in and uh, talk to the boss right then and there. So. <clears throat> uh, be sure and check the upcoming shows, and I'll have. Uh, uh, I'm trying to do like 
five different uh, schedules right now at once. And uh, as soon as I can unravel them, then I'll have all of the, or a majority of the upcoming shows for the year posted for uh, the Rifleman Radio Show, uh, including uh, uh, Dr. Fisher, because uh, we wanted to have him on uh, as close as, because close to the date of the Battle of uh, Trenton, Princeton, as possible, because uh, Dr. Fisher has a book. I'm sure you guys are aware of this, but uh, he's a fantastic author, and he has this book, Washington's Crossing, which talks about the uh, the pivotal battles of Trenton and Princeton and Washington's multiple crossing of the Delaware right about this time, uh, 200 and uh, and 35 years ago, and uh, and uh, he's going to be coming on next Thursday to talk about this, and uh, and Doctor Fisher is always a great guest, and uh, we enjoy having him on. And of course, he wrote the uh, he wrote the uh, the our uh, textbook, which is Paul Revere's Ride. And did a fantastic job for it. I've done a lot of reading uh, about the American Revolutionary War. And one of the things I can tell you is that I have yet to find a book that covers the events of April 19, 1775 in such detail. Uh, I have not found another one yet. And he does the same thing with Washington's Crossing, with the Battles of Trenton and Princeton. And... uh, if you go out and grab that book, then uh, you will be very happy with it, too. And listen, <clears throat> I keep meaning to remind folks about this, is that uh, having a library card is, uh, is a great idea for folks that are interested in history because, you know, going out and buying these books, uh, you know, it can be it can become expensive. You got the books to buy and the shipping and everything else, and you got to wait. Oh, I don't do that. Uh, I go to the library with my kids, and uh, we all love to read. We'll go to the library about every two weeks, and uh, we will get almost more books than one person can carry. A lot of times, we'll get up to fifty, sixty, seventy books, and uh, every time I'm at the library. I'll find another book that uh, I would like to read, and uh, it didn't cost me anything. So uh, you can go to your library, and it's almost a sure bet that they'll have Paul Revere's Ride and Washington's Crossing. And then uh, Dr. Fisher has written several other books uh, that are are simply amazing. He's very, very talented. And uh, so I would uh, would advise or I would – suggest to you guys that you go out and you grab uh, Washington's Crossing sometime during the holidays, go to your library, get a card, grab the book, and read during the holidays. And think about what those guys were going through at this time of year. And, uh, all right, well, I don't see anybody else that's uh, calling in right now. Now, we'll keep the lines open. If you guys want to call in, 347-308-8790, 3088790 and I'll keep an eye on the uh switchboard. Uh you're welcome to call in anytime during the show and uh give recognition to your local crew guys or to 
uh, give us a Christmas story. But we're going to go ahead and start talking about uh, 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 continue our talk from last week on <clears throat> the uh, battles of Trenton and Princeton because that's what th- they occurred at this time of year <coughs> in uh, 1776 and the the army the colonial army and the militias because at this time the colonial army was just getting started you know we didn't go, we didn't come into the war with any kind of a national army everything had been run by the militias and uh, and the the armies had been uh, had taken quite a few beatings and they had been run out of the new jerseys they lost uh, Fort Washington, Fort Lee, uh, and then uh, uh, the uh, the armies had been pushed out of New Jersey. New Jersey had basically been with the militias pushed out, and the New Jersey, the actual New Jersey fighting forces, not wanting to fight. Uh, because they were trying to seek basically what's called like a, a separate peace. They were thinking that if we can just get through this by not doing anything, then why don't we do that? Because otherwise we we stand to lose a great deal. Well, the invading uh, British regulars and Hessian troops looked at the at the farms and uh, and the towns when they came into the New Jerseys, and they were absolutely floored by what they saw as the highest standard of living anywhere in the world at that date. The the American colonists and uh, uh, the folks all had good homes. They had plenty to eat. They had beautiful farmland and uh, and very rich and fertile soil. And uh, the trees were filled with apples. It, it was it was absolutely amazing to them. Uh, first of all, they they thought that why 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 do these folks have anything uh, to fight about, anything to rebel about? They've got everything that they could possibly want. And the folks in New Jersey, a lot of them thought the same thing. And the Howe brothers had issued a <clears throat> uh, basically a uh, an amnesty program, and most of the folks were submitting themselves to the amnesty program and signing their oath of loyalty to the king, and that was keeping them out of trouble. Well, the problem was at this time is that <clears throat> the Hessians, who didn't speak any English, and the British regulars were falling prey to the same thing that most occupational forces do, and and that is they begin to abuse the uh, folks in the area that they're occupying. They, uh, you know, the Hessians couldn't tell the difference between uh, American colonists loyal to the king and American colonists who are rebels. They begin to uh, rob and and pillage. Uh, and confiscate and rape uh, and murder uh, on an, uh, on a absolutely uh, huge scale. This began turning 
the uh, folks in the New Jerseys against them. Well, this one started going. This was going on for quite a while. At the same time, <clears throat> the fleeing colonial forces had hit the Delaware. They'd gone up and down the Delaware. They had either confiscated or destroyed all the boats for 100 miles in each direction and then had uh, put their backs, uh, well, not their backs, they'd put their their forward edge of the battle area, their defensive lines, on the Delaware River. At the same time, the... uh, the seasons change to winter, and uh, during this time period, the uh, most of the uh, uh, civilized forces did not conduct wintertime operations. You know, it wasn't considered to be uh, gentlemanly to be fighting in the winter. At that time, people would uh, they would just kind of fort up and. Uh, you know, they would have guard posts and patrols and stuff like that. But they, they didn't conduct active operations. And so uh, so they set up uh, a series of outposts across the New Jersey frontier. And then they basically went into winter quarters. <clears throat> now, on the colonial side, you had the the enlistment of the militias was coming to an end. You know, they, they, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't like World War II where you were drafted and you were drafted for the duration. That means you were drafted, you reported upon pain of, uh, of imprisonment, you reported to your, to the military and they, they got you uniformed up and equipmented up and you went to war until it ended. At this time, the militias would enter into a voluntary contract where they would serve for between six months and a year. And when the time was up, they packed their gear and they went home. And they had families at home they, that were being uh, either either their crops weren't being brought in or they were being threatened by uh hostile Indians or by British regulars and you know, they wanted to be with their families and uh, they were tired of the of the war they weren't being paid the colonial forces had no money so these guys were being forced to uh, to fight in in absolutely horrific conditions very little food no winter clothing no pay and when their time came up the majority of them uh, packed up their gear and they went home. Well, the enlistment of the militias were coming to an end. Uh, the majority of them were due to come to an end on January 1, 1777. And <clears throat> the the cause of the colonists seemed to be stagnating and then dying and if nothing happened then the the general thought the general feeling was that the colonists had been fought to a standstill and defeated because they had been 
they'd been defeated at quite a few of the battles, and they'd been run out of uh, the jerseys. And and if uh, if nothing happened, then I said, I'm, it's my opinion that the cause could well have died at that point. And it's not just my opinion. There were several, uh, there were a good many of the other folks who uh, who felt the exact same way. And uh, even Joseph Reed, Washington's friend and secretary, wrote him a letter saying, look, it, it's better that that we fight a battle and fail than if we do nothing. Because if we do nothing, it's going to make everybody believe that we're done for, that it's, that the war is over. If we do nothing, then we don't exist. If, if we fight a battle, even if we lose, it means that we're still in the game, all right? We're still fighting. We may get beat, but we're still fighting. We haven't given up yet. <clears throat> so Washington decided <clears throat> that that's what they would do. And uh, if you read Washington's Crossing, you'll find out that uh, – one of uh, Washington's great obsessions throughout the entire American Revolutionary War was gaining intelligence. I mean, he was uh, he put a great deal of stock in gathering intelligence about the enemy, and uh, he had several uh, several spies that he was in a whole spy network that uh, that he was running uh, almost on his own. And found out about the defenses of uh, Trenton and Princeton and decided to make an attack. Now, the the painting that you see of Washington crossing the Delaware, and they had to cross the Delaware River in winter in order to attack Trenton, attack the Hessians at Trenton. The Delaware River is a... uh, is a wide river, and uh, and it's far enough north that uh, it it gets a good deal of uh, of ice in it, and uh, uh, and when we're talking about ice, we're not talking about ice cubes. We're talking about sheet ice, big chunks of ice, and. Uh, uh, and going across uh, a river that has a great deal of current and uh, filled with ice and uh, uh, in the middle of winter is no small thing. And yet that's what they had to do in order to make this attack. And <clears throat> the uh, the and it wasn't just getting some guys in a canoe uh, and going across the Delaware River. They had to take over uh, thousands of men. They had to take over horses and cannon and food and supplies uh, with them. And they did. And they made the attack on Trenton. <clears throat> they were successful, and uh, they killed or captured Almost all of the Hessians there, I think only a group of about 300 that managed to escape. Uh, They took over 900 prisoners and then brought them back uh, and 
that wasn't the end of it. All right, they uh, they decided to uh, to exploit the success of this battle and make another attack on Trenton and Princeton <clears throat> a few days later. So most of the most folks, when you're talking about Washington's crossing of the Delaware River, or, or speaking of the crossing that occurred on December 25th. 1776, which preceded the first Battle of Trenton, all right? <clears throat> However, in order for to, to really understand that, that's only one of the many crossings which Washington and his men undertook during the Trenton and Princeton campaign of 1776-77. Uh, the boat cried across the river that Christmas night on the way to New Jersey had its own set of obstacles, and... Uh, just the, just the crossing of the river was unbelievable. Not only that, but there was a storm that occurred while they were crossing the river. I mean, a huge thunderstorm with uh, hail and sleet and high winds. And the folks were all, all of the troops were soaked to the bone. And yet, they still marched on. They still fought. And unbelievably, during the Battle of Trenton, uh, there were no American losses. Uh, there were a couple of wounded. I believe uh, General Washington, I mean uh, uh, Captain Washington, was wounded trying to retake one of the uh, the cannons that the Hessians were used, trying to to use and turn on the American troops. And uh, I believe there were one or two others that were wounded, but there were no fatalities. There were nobody was killed. During this battle Now there were two fatalities on the way Two men froze to death on the way That's how cold it was <clears throat> So they captured all these folks Then they had to bring them back They had to bring them back Across the Delaware uh, So now you've got the uh, the Couple of thousand troops And their cannons and horses And everything else And you got to bring back 900 prisoners too and this was done thanks to uh, the uh, uh, the men of the Marblehead Regiment, who were these were the the seamen, uh, you know, who had joined Washington's group. All these guys were the they were like his uh, assault navy. Anytime he had to make a river cross or anything like that, he he grabbed uh, the Marblehead troops and they they ran the bo- the boats. <clears throat> All right. Uh, now, there are some diaries from some of the guys, uh, some of the prisoners. They had been captured, the Hessians. Let me read you uh, what what one of them said. This is an account from Lieutenant Elisha Bostwick. I believe he's one of the Hessian uh, prisoners of war. After being made captive, we were immediately transferred across the Delaware in boats. The river, being full of ice, so that we had to resign ourselves to the possibility of death. The wind was so strong against us, and the ice prevented the boat I was in from reaching the shore, so that we were driven almost two miles down the Delaware. I therefore resolved, in order not to spend the night on this river in such dreadful weather, and gradually to die, that I would jump into the river, and either die quickly or get on land. I did that, and Lieutenant Wilhelm von Drach followed me, 
as did the troops in the boat. Fortunately, we reached land, but had to wade through water up to our chest for 70 yards, breaking through ice in many places. It would have been no surprise if this destroyed our health, and instead of a promotion and a good nest egg, returned home to an unhappy prince with a wasted body. Uh, this is from uh, Andreas Wiederhold, one of the Hessians. All right, this is uh, John Greenwood, also one of the... Uh, he was one of the Marblehead men. The scow, or flat-bottom boat, which was used in transporting them Hessians over the ferry, was half a leg deep with rain and snow, and some of the poor fellows were so cold that their underjaws quivered like an aspen leaf. All right, a flat-bottom boat, which was... Uh, Half a leg deep, almost knee-deep with rain and snow. So the boat is filling up with rain and snow, uh, almost knee-deep as they're crossing. Now, these boats were were fairly deep boats because uh, I believe that they transported the men standing up. And, uh, and from some of the accounts that I read, they said they were standing in the boats and with the weight of the 40 or 50 people in the boats and the rest of the equipment and stuff, that the water came up almost to the edge of the boat, which they said was almost at eye level with them. So these boats were pretty deep, and they're standing in knee-deep uh, rain and snow. And you got the first guy who's talking about that he, they had to, because the wind was so strong and the ice in the river, that they were pushed two miles down the river. And then he figured he was going to be stuck or frozen solid in the ice that night. They decided that they would just jump out of the boat and either die quickly or get to shore. And they had to wade over 70 yards in water up to their chest uh, and crawl, uh, press between the ice and crawl up out of the water onto ice blocks and then back down into the water. How many of you guys uh, consider that to be uh, a rough deal? Because remember, when they got... When they got to land, they weren't going to say, oh, come on, hurry, let's get in the truck and let's get over to the uh, uh, the Circle 8 uh, uh, motel, and then uh, we can dry off and, you know, turn the heat up high. That wasn't going to happen. They were going to – they had some fires going that they could stand around on the bank, but you're soaked to the bone, and you have a storm blowing of uh, ice and rain, and you just uh, you just swam uh, across a river filled with ice, and you're going to stand on the bank now in the middle of winter. And uh, uh, oh, to me, that's absolute Hades. <clears throat> All right, here's another one. The ice continually stuck to the boats, driving them downstream. The boatmen, to clear off the ice, pounded the boats, stamping their feet, and beckoned the prisoners to do the same. They all set to jumping at once with their cues uh, flying up and down, sticking straight back like the handle of an iron skillet. Uh, cues, that's their ponytails. All right? So the, the ice was sticking to the boats and kind of freezing up to the boats so that the boats were locking the ice. And the boatmen were saying, come on, we gotta, we're going to have to jump up and down to break these boats free of the ice. All right, this is from uh, William Chamberlain. It began to rain. I had gotten 
thoroughly wet before we began our retrograde march, and the rain and half-melted snow and water was almost over shoes. Our feet was drenched in water every step. I was seized with a kind of og fit which lasted half an hour. I went into a house with my teeth chattering in my head, but though my kind host made, uh, made me a good fire and did everything to favor me, the fire failed to warm me for some time, and I expected to have been taken down with a violent fever. After a while, however, I got warm and made shift to get back to the ferry. Here, we had to stand by the river until the prisoners were first got over. The wind, by this time, had shifted and blew a keen northwestern blast which chilled me to the heart. The ice was so thick near the shore as to bear for a rod or two. I went in the ice with a view to jump in, but it broke and let me into the river up to my waist, and the boat was filled before I could recover myself. The next boat, however, that stuck, I went into the river to meet it, threw my gun into it, and made a leap into it with all my strength. I got in and got over to a fire, but almost dead with cold and fatigue. That's what these guys were doing. And remember, this is the first one. They're going to do it again in a couple of nights. They don't have winter clothes. They don't have Gore-Tex. They don't have, uh, they don't have much of anything. You can see the pictures that were drawn pretty faithfully of them then. They're standing there in their clothes, the same clothes they'd be wearing on a spring day, except it might be uh, augmented with a blanket. They've got a blanket thrown over their shoulders in the dead of winter in freezing snow and rain. <clears throat> how many of you guys uh how many of you guys think that you could do this? All right, once the uh prisoners, once they'd got them over to the Pennsylvania shores, you know, they've got them evacuated out of uh the New Jersey. The officers and privates were held in separate locations throughout the area. They weren't uh they weren't headed to a stockade because they didn't have any. I mean they they had, uh, you know, barns and uh, some other outbuildings and homes and stuff like that. <clears throat> uh, let's see. Immediately after our capture, we were brought over the Delaware by Johnson's Ferry to Pennsylvania. The privates were brought to Newton on the same day, and we officers, 25 in number, remained in a house not far from the Delaware in a small room altogether where we spent this night very miserably, 27 December. Our staff officers ate at noon with General Washington, 28 December. This morning we visited General Lord Sterling, who conducted himself in a very friendly manner toward us. He received us with these words, Your General von Heister treated me like a brother when I was a prisoner, and so, gentlemen, you shall be treated by me in the same manner. Lord Sterling asked if it would be our pleasure to accompany him to see General Washington. He kept four of our officers for the noon meal, and the rest of us ate with Lord Sterling. And this is from a Lieutenant Peel, who's a Hessian. Well, obviously, these guys uh, got a good end of the stick. <clears throat> uh, there, are, there are further accounts by the uh, Hessian prisoners, and uh, they left extensive descriptions of what happened during and immediately after the Battle of Trenton. And... Uh, uh, 
eventually some of the prisoners were taken to Philadelphia and ultimately marched all the way to Virginia. Uh, many were sent to work on farms in German-speaking areas of the country like uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Arrangements were made between the military and the farmers where a farmer could take a prisoner to work on his land, and he was responsible for shelter and food of the prisoner. Uh, if the prisoner escaped during that time, the farmer was responsible to pay for the loss of the prisoner. And uh, it's not often we hear the story of the Hessian prisoners crossing the river, which, uh, you know, as a defeated army, as prisoners, you know, crossing a river, uh, just think about it this way. If you were, if you had been suffered a defeat and you were being taken prisoner and uh, you were put into a a uh, river in the middle of winter, and uh, I'm sure that they figured that was it. I'm sure they were figured they were going to die. And uh, uh, in actuality, a great many of them went on to remain uh, in America. Uh, they certainly were taken care of better than uh, than our prisoners fared at the hands of the uh, the British and the Hessians. All right, uh, we've got another caller. I told you we'd put these put. Uh, the folks through. If anybody wants to call, you're welcome to call, and uh, we'll put you on between now and the end of the show. We've got another 15 minutes, so three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. And uh, I'm going to keep. Uh, I'll keep talking to you about the uh, Battle of Trenton and Princeton, and uh, uh, and then right now, Cooper, uh, welcome to the show. Well, greetings. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing fine. I'm on the better climbing side of a bad, nasty winter cold. What's that? I had a on the improving side of a bad winter cold. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I'm Which makes glad you're even more. Makes me sound glad even you're more gravelly as usual. <laughs> well, good. But I had to well, what do you got for us? I had to call, not for my locals. Just to give overwhelming thanks to the Pacific Northwest Instructor Crew for taking such good care of my daughter, Lena. Okay, who she is this? She ventured out to Yakima. She could only spend a day out there because she had to get back for church and work issues. Right. And she was blessed with freezing fog. And rhyme ice on the target line. Well, it doesn't get any better than that. Now, she was plagued by rifle malfunctions, just as I was my first three and a half apple seeds. But she persevered, thanks to the endless support and encouragement of that Pacific Northwest Appleseed crew. Well, Pacific? Oh, every one of them. Every one of them. Well, I great. Can't, it, it's just, I'm, I am so, I am so joyous that there are so many Appleseeders and true 
honest, reliable Americans out there that I can, without without the slightest hesitation, hand my daughter over to their care. Oh yeah, and yeah. No. We've got that. We've got many stories of uh, of that happening back and forth across the nation about uh, yeah. about different folks going on journeys. I know that uh, Western Rose completed one recently where she. I don't know where all she went, but I know she took a uh, uh, kind of like a tour of uh, the United States, uh, going from Appleseed to Appleseed. Everywhere, Western Rose went everywhere. I was so joyous to meet her up in uh, to meet up with her in Long Island, New York. It's like, <laughs> whoa, okay, let's both travel thousands of miles so we can meet. Well, that's one of the things about Appleseed is if you're a uh, if you're an Appleseed brother or sister, you're going to be welcomed wherever you go, and uh, that is anywhere that we have in the United States now. So you can travel yeah, from, from one ocean to the other by stepping on uh, different Appleseed stones. And that's that's the point of my call, is to thank every cedar that we have a national family that my daughter, 1,500 miles away from me, can go to an apple seed in Moxie, Washington, and be treated as family, to be taught, respected, encouraged. I just, I've got to, I have to pass out my thanks. To all you in the Pacific Northwest. Well, thank my you. thanks too. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, folks, for taking in my daughter as apple seed family. That means an incredible amount to me. Thank you. Well, thanks very much. Well, you got any? Uh, uh, Christmas stories you'd like to uh, relate real quick? Christmas. Well, my Christmas story is last Christmas. Instead of singing Christmas carols on Christmas Eve, I took my daughter and went through the safety rules. Safe <laughs> rifle. Uh, most of the, you know, the six steps of firing the shot. And on Christmas morning, she went out and cleared the 100, 200, and 300 yard targets from a red coat. Unfortunately, well, I had not had the time to teach her about shifting in POA, and she didn't quite clear the 400 or the headshot. Yeah, because a lot of folks don't understand that you have to. Uh... You're going to have to make uh, – making your vertical shift is no different than making your horizontal shift. And when you get to the bottom of the line, you're going to have to make uh, – uh, in addition to your vertical shift, you're going to have to make a horizontal shift and then another vertical to get back up. So paying attention to your shifts during your red coat is just as important as uh, as any other target. 
And the Pacific Northwest apple seeders are teaching my daughter just that. And I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. She probably, she already knows this already. Her, her, last, her, her birthday present last year was a 1022 decked out by an apple seed uh, gunsmith. And her Orthodox Christmas presents, that's in September. I'm, I'm sorry, it's in January. Her Orthodox Christmas presents include uh, shooting mats. She won't have to borrow more. Plenty of magazines and a scope to make up for her aging eyes. Well, great. So look forward to her shooting her rifleman score, and I hope to God taking a hat sometime in the next few months. Well, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Cooper, and uh, Merry Christmas to you, and we'll see you again this next uh, Thursday. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Good night. All right. And uh, what she says is true. You know, you can uh, – I, uh, I wish that my situation would allow me to uh, to take a year and uh, and step from one apple seed stepping stone to another for 55 weekends across the United States. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. But, uh, but it doesn't, so I'll just keep uh, doing the – uh, I'll keep doing what I can when I can, and uh, and that's what we ask uh, from the rest of you folks. All right, we're going to finish up tonight with uh, <clears throat> with uh, some of the literature that was written during the uh, the prelude to the battles of Trenton and Princeton. Now, you guys know that uh, Thomas Paine was a uh, British expatriate uh, living in the colonies and was uh, and has become famous for the uh, the pamphlets that he wrote in support of the American Revolutionary War while he was while they were waiting while they were uh, they'd been pushed back across the Delaware and uh, while they were getting ready uh, at the time, they weren't. They didn't know what they were going to do, because nobody knew about the attack on Trenton and Princeton, except for Washington, until right before it happened. But uh, Thomas Paine wrote a, a series of pamphlets all the way from 1776 to 1783, and uh, the uh, the first volume of the American Crisis begins with uh, the famous words. I'm sure you, uh, everybody has heard this in some form or another. These are the times that try men's souls. And uh, it's become a very well-known phrase. Now, there were 16 pamphlets altogether uh, that became the American crisis or some people just call it the crisis. Now, there were 13 numbered pamphlets which were published between 1776 and 1777 with three additional pamphlets uh, that were released between 77 and 83. And 
the writings were contemporaneous with the early parts of the American Revolution, you know, during the times that the colonists needed inspiring. And the at the time, this was one of the most read uh, pamphlets in the Americas. And they were written in a language where the, 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 uh, the common man could understand and, and manage, and, and they were very indicative of Paine's liberal philosophies. And Paine signed them with one of his many pseudonyms. He called it common sense. And the writings bolstered their morale of the American colonists. And they appealed to the English people's consideration of the war with America. That means that it wasn't just the colonists who were reading this, who were reading Paine's work. The Back in England, the English folks were reading Paine's work too. And and it was helping a lot of those folks to to kind of uh, uh, to understand what the colonists were doing, and it, it clarified the the issues that were at stake in the war, and and, uh, and helped a lot of folks in England who were advocates of a negotiated peace. Uh, the first of these, the first of the pamphlets, were released uh, when the revolution was still viewed as an unsteady prospect uh, that uh, that it m- may or may not work. Uh, you know that it could be a failure because you you have to remember that uh, we're looking back at the American Revolutionary War with an understanding that it was a success. Now, until the uh, war ended in uh, 1783, there was no certainty that it was going to be a success. All right, let me uh, let me read you. Uh, I think I've got enough time to get through this. Let me read you the uh, <clears throat> the December 23rd, 1776 release of the crisis. Like I said, remember this was written by Thomas Paine, who was with the uh, the, col- the uh, colonial army there in uh, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> December twenty third, seventeen seventy six. These are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier and the sunshine patriot will, in this crisis, shrink from the service of their country. But he that sends by it now deserves the love and thanks of man and woman. Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet we have this consolation with us, that the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. What we obtain too cheap, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. Heaven knows how to put a proper price Upon its goods, and it would be strange indeed if so celestial an article as freedom should not be highly rated. Britain, with an army to enforce her tyranny, has declared that she has a right not only to tax, but to bind us all in all cases whatsoever. And if being bound in that manner is not slavery, then there is not such a thing as slavery upon earth. Even the expression is impious, for so unlimited a power can belong only to God. Whether the independence of the continent 
were declared too soon or delayed too long, I will not now enter into as an argument. My own simple opinion is that had it been eight months earlier, it would have been much better. We did not make a proper use of last winter. Neither could we while we were in a dependent state. However, the fault, if it were one, was all our own. We have none to blame but ourselves. But no great deal is lost yet. All that Howe has been doing for this month past is rather a ravage than a conquest, which the spirit of the Jerseys a year ago would have quickly repulsed, and which time and a little resolution will soon recover. I have as little superstition in me as any man living, but my secret opinion has ever been and still is that God Almighty will not give up a people to military destruction or leave them unsupportedly to perish. We have so earnestly and so repeatedly sought to avoid the calamities of war by every decent method which wisdom could invent. Neither have I so much of the infidel in me as to suppose that he has relinquished the government of the world and given us up to the care of devils. And I do not, I cannot, see on what grounds the King of Britain can look up to heaven for help against us. A common murderer, a highwayman, or a housebreaker has as good a pretense as he. It is surprising to see how rapidly a panic will sometimes run through a country. All nations and ages have been subject to them. Britain has trembled like an og at the report of a French fleet of flat-bottom boats, and the 14th century, the whole English army, after ravaging the kingdom of France, was driven back like men petrified with fear, and this brave exploit was performed by a few broken forces collected and headed by a woman, Joan of Arc. Would that heaven might inspire a few broken forces uh, and some Jersey made to spirit up her countrymen and save her fair fellow sufferers from ravage and ravishment. Yet panics, in some cases, have their uses. They produce as much good as hurt. Their duration is always short. The mind soon goes through them and acquires a firmer habit than before. But their peculiar advantage is that they are the touchstones of sincerity and hypocrisy and of things and men to light which might otherwise have lain forever undiscovered. In fact, they have the same effect on secret traitors which an imaginary apparition would have upon a private murderer. They sift out the hidden thoughts of man and hold them in a public to the world. Many a disguised Tory has lately shown his head that shall potentially solemnize with curses the day in which Howe arrived upon the Delaware. As I was with the troops at Fort Lee and marched with them to the edge of Pennsylvania, I am well acquainted with many circumstances which those who live at a distance know but little or nothing of. Our situation there was exceedingly cramped, the place being a narrow neck of land between the North River and the Hackensack. Our force was inconsiderable, being not one-fourth so great as Howe could bring against us. We had no army at hand to have relieved the garrison, had we shut ourselves up and stood on our defense. All right, that's not the end of it, but I'll finish it this next Thursday. I want to thank everybody uh, who called in tonight, and uh, I want to thank everybody who's listening, and I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, and uh, and be happy, 
be happy, be thankful, be vigilant. Uh, God bless. Uh, God bless all of us. Watch over us, and uh, we'll see you this next Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. Thank you, and good night. I'm free.